everyone. Uh, we're going to get started. And I'm wondering, would it be possible to move a little closer? Does anyone want to sit close? <laughs> anyone? I understand that's a very comfortable couch. I know that couch is good. But what if you sat here and got all of our emotional support? <laughs> no, it's no Oh, way. dude, heroes. Yes. yes. Woo! We love you. You're the best. And you can still leave. Yeah. If you're, like, totally. not digging it, it's fine. Fine. But come I'm back. I'm going to ask... All I only good. ask that if you do walk out, you do it in a very demonstrative and emotional way. <laughs> like, like we said something. <laughs> no, just like, oh. <laughs> um, and I do have a question. I asked a couple people individually. Did, did any of, How many of you in the audience knew that Tara was going to be here? <laughs> just one guy. Yeah. There awesome. Was a, there was a mix-up in the, in the program, so... But you're stoked to be here because Tara has a big book that came out this year. Yeah. When did it come out? Uh, it came out February 5th. It's like a month 5th. ago. It's like an, so this and is like an a, undiscovered find for you. Yeah, you're loving it. And we're adjusting to the panel style uh, presentation here. Last year we had couches. <laughs> so if we seem a little stiff, it's because of that. It's not you. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I should declare for a college, you know, with the hats. <laughs> like I'm choosing to go to USC. Bad example. Um, and later, if anyone has questions, I do have a bedazzled mic here that I can go out in the audience with. Oh, that's fancy. To ask questions. Yeah. Okay, so we're, uh, we're the hosts of The Grotto Pod. I'm Larry Rosen. I'm Bridget Quinn. Author. And uh, we have Tara Conklin with us today, and we're really Woo! lucky to have her here today. Let me give you just a brief biographical uh, sketch before we get into the hard-hitting questions. Uh, most importantly, Tara's new book is called The Last Romantics, and two weeks ago it was chosen to be the first uh, book ever in Jenna Bush Hager's Today Show book club, the which Today Show, Tara just told us had the impact of having her book move in three hours, two hours? Two hours. Two, two hours. hours from 2000-something 2000 2000 on Amazon. To number three. Number three <laughs> on Amazon. Yeah. When they tell you commercial television is dead is not true. But let me yeah. tell you something. This woman is no stranger to success. Oh, no. Uh, prior to that, her first book, <laughs> The House Girl, was a New York Times bestseller, a Target book club pick, uh, and a number one indie, in, indie Next pick. It's when independent booksellers get together and choose the books every month that they're most excited about. So good. She moves the yeah. books. She moves units, as they say in the biz. <laughs> uh, and before that, she was a litigation lawyer, which we're going to get into a little bit. Not only to... Transition. Uh, like, yeah. how that happens? Yeah. Pivot is the word. Oh, pivot, pivot. right. Oh, yeah, that's pivot. the word pivot. they use That's now. like content. It's one of those words I... And that's what we're doing right now is providing content. I want to talk about that not only to get in the ins and outs of what that was like, but also to understand how it impacts her as a writer. Um, she was born in the Virgin Islands, which means like Alexander Hamilton, she can never be president. Sad. It is sad. But she overcame that. Um, has an undergraduate degree from Yale, a JD from NYU, a master's of law and diplomacy from Tufts, and somewhere in the middle of that, she found time to do the following things. Work at a casino in Costa Rica. Work in Moscow. Teach English in Madrid and... Wait, not Moscow, Idaho. Not Moscow, Idaho. <laughs> I, just, I saved this last one for you. And wait tables at a hotel in... Glacier Park. Montana. Montana. What hotel? Many Glacier. Oh. Here at the Grotto Pod, we have a... I just realized we did an episode, a different podcast earlier, but here at the Grotto Pod, we have a tradition of seeing what the over-under is before Bridget will say she's from Montana, 
and I will say I'm Jewish. And usually, this time you won. I won because you said Jewish before I said Montana. No, you, I, but you implied Montana before I kind of led you into that, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so Tara, I ask the same question of every writer that we interview. And I think I'd like to start there because I think your path to becoming a New York Times bestselling author uh, was not direct. No. So <laughs> the question I ask is when was the moment that you knew you were a writer? When did you get, you know, it, often it's a teacher who took someone under their wing. Often it's really positive feedback that someone got. What was that moment for you? Um, well, I always knew, I honestly don't remember a distinct moment. I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, in in fifth grade, my parents just reminded me of this recently, that I had this, uh, our teacher gave us this assignment to write our autobiography. You know, at the age of 10, you've got a lot to work to through. Yeah. Give me 10,000 words. <laughs> um, but in addition, you had, to, you had to write your life today, and then you had to, you know, put, look forward into the future and write what you, th you saw yourself becoming. And I was like, of course I would be a writer, of course. In addition, I also put that I would be a doctor who discovered the cure for cancer because, you know, might as well aim high. But I mean, even at that point, I just, I was such a bookworm and I knew that I loved writing and I loved reading and I just couldn't think of any other better job. However... You chose one that pays instead. I, exactly. <laughs> I didn't know how I would make a living at it. It yeah. just, you know, I got into Yale the old-fashioned way, which is, you know, to, have, to work really <laughs> oh. hard. And, you know, my, my parents, uh, yeah, I was looking to make a living. So, um, and, and that was your call? Like, you didn't feel pressured into choosing something to make a living? Because we've had a lot of people on who said, well... My parents wanted seemed, me to be a, a, an engineer, a doctor. It seemed like a flight yeah. of fancy, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> Please do. Um, so I went, I, got, I went to college, and I was a total public school kid from a small town. And, um, you know, and you're at this big Ivy League illustrious institution. And I knew, you know, okay, I want to write. So I'll be an English major, and I'll take writing classes. And my first semester, I just, I hated the English classes I had to take. They were all really dry and boring and awful. And I tried to get into a fiction writing class, and there was one fiction writing class that was open to undergraduates that was kind of the like threshold before you could take any other writing classes. And you had to present work. You had to hand in work and get accepted into the class. And I tried every goddamn semester, and I never got into it. And so I was like, okay, I guess I just am not wow. destined to be a writer. I'll do something else. That's and a, so I did. <laughs> that's a bitter pill to swallow. Well, you know what? Uh, this is the thing, though. I was, you know, 18 years. I mean, I had not really done anything. But so I didn't was have a lot else. to write yeah. about. So was everyone else. Yeah. It was a bitter them? pill. Yeah, I could still... I, hold I would. I would never. Grudges. That would be sad. Yeah, I would be like, sorry. <laughs> I'd be like mailing my book with the uh, bestseller, whatever on it, to yeah. certain academic so, faculty. And and was 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 law a twin ambition, or was it like for all of us English majors? Well, you can There's either always teach the or law. go to law. There's school. always the law. Yeah, I actually ended up being a history major because I hated the yeah. English classes wow. so much, and also I wanted to study abroad. I really wanted to travel. I mean, it wasn't like a oh, God, I'm so heartbroken, I can't be, you know. It, it was more like, okay, well, let's, let's see what else is out there. And, um, and I, I do think it's really important that people know you don't have to study writing yeah. to become a writer. That's it's, a great thing. Uh, about, yeah. Absolutely not. And in and fact, it gives you more things to write about. Yeah, and you don't have to be, you know, 
20. I mean, it's not like modeling or figure skating or <laughs> right. something, you gymnastics. know, like competitive gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> tennis, I mean, you yeah. can, and I, and I honestly do think that it, that for me, it happened when I had something to say and when I had a story I wanted to tell. And I think I had this kind of vision of what it meant to be a writer prior to that, but I didn't really have the gumption or the confidence or the story to tell to really sit my butt in a chair for five years and write a novel. <laughs> what, what was your first novel? Uh, the House Girl. Oh my God. Did so, you have any unpublished ones before that? I had written sort of a unfinished half of a novel, um, but I wrote a lot of stories. I was always I writing. This is the thing about yeah. being a lawyer, though, that people don't know, is that most of lawyering, at least if you're a litigator, is writing and research for the oh, first yeah. like five or six years of okay, your but career. You, but I, I have a little, I, I intersected that word a little bit because I used to edit a magazine for lawyers. So mm -hmm. I interviewed a lot of lawyers. And some of that writing seems like it wouldn't help you as a fiction writer. Yeah. Because it's, it's real dense and real jargony. And, yeah. And, I mean, I guess at the very least, though, it teaches, to, like you said, to put your butt in the chair. Yeah. Um, and also, well, I was, a, I was a corporate litigator in New York for a year. And then I moved to London. And I did international arbitration, which is also dispute resolution. But it's not confined by court rules. So there's a lot oh, more leeway. It's a fiction. <laughs> there's a lot more leeway. As I say often in book they talks, call that fiction. being a fiction writer and being an international litigator yeah, are not that different. Because you you're trying to persuade yeah. your audience of the truth of your case you know your you have world. your of your world yeah. exactly and so am i okay so i can i can see that you know you develop your chops as, as a persuasive writer as a world builder um as a character builder but how do you how do you know how to take a manuscript and move it to becoming a book because that's its own world yeah for sure um, and that's why it took me five years. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I think you just, I mean, I read a lot. I've yeah. always read a lot. Who, when you were growing up, who were your, who were your authors? Who'd you like? Oh gosh. You know, I, I read a lot of lowbrow stuff. I read a lot of Stephen awesome. King. I read like everything Stephen King wrote. We for... were singing Stephen King's <laughs> praises like in a podcast. Like two hours ago. Oh my God. Talk I about loved Stephen King. him. I mean, yeah. I loved, um, great God, stories. I mean, I loved all the like Lord of the Rings and the, all the fantasy books, the Black Cauldrons. Oh series. my gosh. Do you I remember? Loved I those. loved those. I loved those. Those are not as Lloyd as Alexander. Popular. Lloyd oh, Alexander. Those were so awesome good. books. They're and Narnia, of course. Narnia. Narnia. Larry um, only read sports books. I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And Whatever. I couldn't read Narnia. Why? Christian. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I didn't find out until I, much I later. I know. I think in. it was like a hidden thing An for allegory. most people. I, I mean, it no wasn't idea. for me because I was raised super hardcore Catholic. So when the lion dies and comes back to life, I was like on it. You're in. <laughs> I was like, I know. I was just happened. like, Aslan, Aslan. <laughs> okay, but so let, let's let's put you in now, this. I, I can't speak for the audience because I'm not in the audience, but that lifestyle, like I was a litigator in New York, and then I was an international arbitrator. That sounds really dazzling and glitzy and fun. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it they was. Make, they make TV shows about those oh, people. Yeah. It, well, yeah, the TV shows are not really real. But um, it was 
was fun. I really enjoyed it for a long time. I traveled a lot. Um, Did they kick your butt? I mean, they kicked my butt. I was working all hours. the time. Yeah. yeah, I was working a ton. And then I had two children very close together. And being a lawyer, uh, you know, in that kind of world and having two young kids who you actually want to see (laughs) are not really conducive. So So, at what point does the idea of becoming a writer take hold? Well, uh, the point that it really took hold was when I had my daughter, my first child. I was home on maternity leave. And here is a little tip. If you can go on maternity leave in a country other than the U.S., do it. (laughs) I had nine months paid time off. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do a lot in nine months. But and this is in the UK, which is not even as good although as Although this most is ironic Europe. because I was a writer when I had my first I child. I stopped writing. <laughs> I was just well, see, this to is say. the thing. This is the thing. That people are always like, wait a second. You, you had kids and then you started writing? I was, uh, yeah. But, I took, like, um, you write well with no sleep is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my baby was really, she, as a baby, she was really, uh, after the first like month or two, you know, and you're worried you're going to kill. Yeah the child and yourself and by accident <laughs> by ac- yeah by accident um and uh she became a uh, she was a, she was a great baby and uh and that's why you had a couple more that's why i had a couple more yeah they're all great they were not all as great sleepers as she was though i have to say the boys were not as good I know, I but was gonna say, that's amazing <laughs> but here's what happened i really did have this moment where i you know i was a mom and it just really shook my foundation and at that point in time, I was thinking, okay, I'll be a writer when I retire from the law. You know, that's when. So I was kind of, okay, I'll save up can, money and I'll retire. Can I back up a little bit? So yeah. the, the writer idea was always there. Yeah. And were you doing anything other than reading? I was always writing. You're always, like, yeah. journaling or just journaling, you writing short stories? Writing stories, okay. yeah. Because was, the thing that strikes me is, is you were a history major, then you went to law school. And, I mean, I've been writing for a lot of years and I still a lot <laughs> and I just started trying to write novels and I realized when Bridget gave me a book that I have no idea how to write a novel yeah and I can't imagine if that skill just springs into your head fully formed at some point without having pursued it yeah I mean I there's this great book Janet Burroway writing fiction mm-hmm. that I always tell people is my MFA that book I read cover to cover and underlined. Okay, and that she's makes amazing. sense. Yeah. yeah. I do think that's true. I mean, I really had, a, after years and years of writing, a writing breakthrough from a book. Yeah. Um, so I do think it can happen like that. Something yeah. just clicks in terms of storytelling. And yeah. Then... My breakthrough was, oh, something has to happen. <laughs> I know. That's <laughs> well, like everybody out there who wants to write, that's essential. Especially yeah. if you've been <laughs> writing short stories me for a while. For a long time. Yeah. But also, I didn't start by saying, oh, I'm going to write a novel. Let's yeah. sit down and start writing yeah. a novel. Like, yeah. It was, yeah. it was. I started writing a story about a character who I but just became obsessed with. Your first with, book is just, historical. And yeah, you part. have a history background. That makes sense. That it mm-hmm. wasn't daunting, overwhelming, um, that side of it. So... I, I can see that uh, if you've written a lot and you have that background, you have the tools. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it didn't seem... And also, I had been writing... This was what I did for fun. You know, like, this, this was, was like... This was This was my little guilty secret. I mean, I tell people, like, I would always... 
it was just what I, you know, it was what I did at night. And um, I would be on my laptop, you know, <laughs> noodling around, uh, writing stories. And so when I started The House Girl, it was a story. Mm-hmm. But the, the, just like any of the others that I had written. But, um, but this character just really, I became totally obsessed with her. <laughs> I became like... So, so you completely did you, obsessed. You, did you then take the character and find a different world to put her in, or did you just expand on the story you had written? I just expanded on you the just story. Kept going. Yeah. Uh, the, the, what you just described yourself as doing speaks to something Bridget and I sort of casually mentioned beforehand. Looking at your bio, I said, "Man, she's a go-getter." And uh, the, the fact that you were a lawyer with a small child <laughs> and then relaxing by writing at night does nothing to change that impression no. for me. <laughs> writing, I'm going to write a novel in my free time because I need to relax. There's <laughs> lots of TV you could have been watching, like yeah. but you didn't. I just like writing. But that's I'm so sorry. great. It's so great. <laughs> I want to I I pivot and talk about the new book. Okay. Yeah. Um, the Last Romantics. Mm-hmm. The Last Romantic. Last Romantics. It so is a, last for the benefit romantics. of the audience, why don't we start by having you just sort of yep. summarize oh, yeah. what it's about. Um, the book is about four siblings, the Skinner siblings. Um, it opens, we've got, uh, let me just think of my, my elevator pitch again. <laughs> we've got Fierce Renee, Dreamy Caroline, Golden Boy Joe, and Watchful Fiona. And the book opens in the year 2079, Fiona is uh, 102 years old. She is a famous poet, and she's addressing a packed auditorium. A young woman rises from the crowd and asks her about the inspiration behind her most iconic work, a poem called simply The Love Poem. And it's a question that Fiona has never answered before, a story she's never told. But on this night, she decides that it's time to tell the story. So... Her answer is basically the novel. The entire book. Yeah. Which is a very bold craft choice, may I it just is. say? And in fact... <laughs> Are you aware? Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, and, and, and to expand on that, in fact, if you opened your USA Today yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, Jenna Bush Hager's 11 study guide questions, the first... Oh, oh. really? It's in USA Today? The first question that. is, <laughs> why does Conklin choose to frame the story from 2077? Well, I, I want to say I do find it interesting that you're a historian and you decided to set this in one future. in the future. Yeah. And, and you didn't just, for the benefit of the audience, you didn't just decide to set it in the future. You set it in a future beset with problems. Yeah. Very specific problems. So, I mean, but I'm poets cu- are rock stars. They are filling yeah. auditoriums. <laughs> and people live to be 102. Yeah, so it's not all bad. <laughs> right. Well, I have to say, so near the end of the book, um, so... The protagonist is a 102-year-old female poet who has filled an auditorium with people who can't wait to hear her speak for the first time in 25 years, Mm -hmm, I think. mm -hmm. And they're hanging on her every word. And she talks about how in critical times, poets become the important people in a society. And I was thinking, that's actually really what's happening right now. I mean, poets in the United States have never had bigger followings. I mean, on Twitter, poetry Twitter, you guys. Yeah. yeah, like Instagram poets are crazy. Yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, so it's set in 2079, mm-hmm. but it's very timely, and yeah. also climate change. I think we're climate change is one of the uh, the protagonist works for climate action now. I mm-hmm. think climate uh, sense now. Climate, yeah. climate sense now. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's not that far in the future feeling. Well, and it, it does seem to answer some of the pressing questions that we ask now. What's it going to be like? You know, what is it? 
60 years from now. And it doesn't seem You're that- so fast at math. Uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> wasted, wasted opportunity. Um, what made you decide? I mean, I think there's so many little decisions that went into that. Yeah. What made you decide to do that? You could have just written it present tense. Yeah, yeah which I did. I mean, I wrote this book three times. I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, I did too. You started. To get, yeah. Um, and uh, the the I there, I was having this sort of narrative problem, which was that um, I wanted to write this family epic, and in my drafts, it had this this sort of backward looking tone. And in most family epics, many family epics, I just read Pachinko, I was reading Commonwealth, you know, they're so set, good. I know Pachinko's oh, so good. Guys, that's a really good um, one. They're set in the past. And so the sort of, the sort of uh, backwards looking historical kind of taking stock of, of your life uh, feel to it makes sense. But I also wanted to look at contemporary women and make it a contemporary right. story and look at the problems that I was facing and my sisters were facing and my friends were facing. Um, and so those two narrative goals were really uh, in conflict. And I was trying to, to work it out and make it all feel right. And then I literally had this kind of aha moment. What if Fiona is talking to us from the future? I can have it both ways. You know, I can have this kind of like momentous taking stock of, of my life um, feel to the book, but I can also talk about women of my generation. Um, and so that's what I did. But what made you decide to create that future? You could have just said it's 2079 and yeah. she's 102 years old. You could have left out the sirens and yeah. the little details. Well, I wanted there to be some sort of interest in that section as opposed to just a framing device. Like, I wanted it to have its own kind of narrative push. Um, and also, I think, you know, what's a more pressing issue? And also, it's, you know, The Last Romantics as a title uh, works in a lot of different levels for the book. But one of the ways that I see it is that this, we are kind of the last romantics when it comes to climate change, yeah. you know? Like, we are yeah. still the people who can say, oh, yeah, maybe it's just made up, maybe this, you know, but, like, and, and not really yeah. deal with it. But I think our children, our children's children, they're not going to have that maybe luxury. It, maybe it always snows in Seattle and then it's 81 yeah, a week exactly. later. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. the hottest normal. day ever so, in the winter of Seattle, winter two days ago. So you, uh, you come up with this great framing device. You feel like, oh, yeah, I've nailed it. I can see how this is going to work. So wh when I saw where the book was going, that it was going to go back from mm -hmm. this moment, I thought, if I write this and I bring this to the people who read my work, my agent, my editor, they would be like, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're, How'd you sell it? Yeah. How'd you sell it? Um, well, I, as I mentioned, I wrote this book three times. Yeah. I handed it in three times. Okay. Mm. Um, I signed the contract for this book based on, this is like the, the really cool thing about being a writer is once you write one book, you can sell your second book without actually writing it. <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is both a, a blessing yeah. and a curse. Yeah. Some people so, don't like that. So I had a couple chapters and an idea and this idea had been kind of knocking around in my head for a long time and um and I wrote an outline and I talked to Kate my editor William Morrow and she's like oh this is great I love it I love it and so I signed a contract for it and then I wrote a book um over about a year and a half on deadline and I handed it in 
And she read it, and she called me, and she said, Tara, this is a great first draft. <laughs> Not what authors want to yeah. hear. And I was like, no, for, no, this is the book. This is the book. She's like, this is not your book. And it was 100% different. It was a totally different story. Yeah, so to rewrite. It was a different book. Um, so then I rewrote it. Did you start from, you started from scratch? The second time I did not start from scratch. Okay. The second time I just padded on to what I already had. And, and the first two versions did not have future Fiona at all. It was, it was kind of a roving third-person point of view. It didn't really have a central protagonist. Oh, that's um, interesting. So the uh, so second book, the second one I handed in was like, I don't know, 140,000 words. It was ginormous <laughs> and it went like forward into the future with like the next generation it went back history you know it was like it was just it was too it was too much so questions of scale yeah. and scope aren't intimidating to you then uh, the um, idea of writing something that big i i never have a problem with word count my problem yeah. is editing well, i don't even mean that i oh. mean just the idea of this sprawling multi-generational tale yeah i mean i was it was definitely um, intimidating. I mean, I thought, God, can I do this? Yeah, so Let's many try. Wow. <laughs> Let's try. And those are the books I love to read. I know, you know? Yep. I love those kind of books. So, um, I, so mean, I think Pachinko took like a decade. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that book is beautiful. But, yeah. but you don't want to run the risk of having the book swallow you whole. No. And when you I know. handed in that second book, um, Kate was like, well, Tara... <laughs> We're getting Long. there. That's what she said. We're getting there, Tara. I was like, dude, come on. <laughs> but so, yeah, that's a, that's a really good uh, point for people out there that are writers and for people on the stage that are writers. Describe how you deal with what I'm sure your first response is, well, screw this then. How do you move past that and go, all right, I guess I'm going to start over? Um, well, you have to trust your editor um, and whoever your reader is. And I really trust Kate. And, um, and she, she kept saying, she, I mean, it was obviously, it was a much longer conversation than just uh, the one phone call. Um, and, but she said to me at one point, uh, you know, if this is really what you want this book to be, we'll publish it. And this, you know, it's still a good wow. book. But we, I know you can do better. She kicked it back to you. Yeah. She was like, I know you can do better. I know you have these characters. You have more of a story about these characters. And she was right. And she was 100% right. And my agent was also saying the same thing. So I have these, t Michelle uh, Brower, who's an agent with Avidas uh, Creative, and Kate Nitzel, who's my editor at William Morrow. And they are just these two kick-ass, amazing so women awesome. who I love to death. And I'm so lucky that, that I have them because it's not every writer that gets these kind of relationships. And that, and that question of trust, you're right, is yeah. the utmost yeah. importance because you can't look at them going, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Let's publish it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. how do you go back a third time and revision, I don't mean revise, I mean yeah. rethink? Well, the third time, I just, I put everything away and I yeah. did start fresh. I can see but you have the to. characters and I almost feel like once you act, you really know the characters yeah. well, yeah. then you can just move them around. Yeah. And how, how, so how come. long did the third draft take? The third draft took about another year, year and a half. So how many years start to finish? Well, it's been six years since, it was about five years in writing, five and a half, five, five and a half. Were there any points during that five years that 
you started to wonder if it was going to happen. Oh my God. <laughs> many, many, many points. I mean, there were times when I was like, God, do I have to, if I like have a, if they give me part of the advance, do I have to pay it back? And what happens if I break my contract? And yeah, I was pretty sure there were a lot That's of why times. some people don't like to sell. On, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on spec. And also the second book is hard. I mean, yeah. the second yeah. book you've got, want. the first book you write, it's just like this labor of love, right? It's like, you don't know if anyone's ever going to read it. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, well, but one this, thing, I'm sorry to interrupt. One thing yeah. people say is your first book's easy because that's the book you've been waiting to write your whole life. Yeah. And then you got to come with something else. Yeah. And you don't have your whole life to do it. Yeah. Has anyone here read Stephen King's On Writing? It's like a very popular writing. It's a really good writing. Right. Book. It's yeah. so Way good. Back there on the couch. And yeah, back back. I can see, I can barely see you. Hi. Um, because he says if if you've read it, um, a novel should take no longer than a season. <laughs> Now, what kind of season is he talking yeah, about there? Yeah. I know he's a big baseball what? fan because that's six months. How much cocaine months. are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But every time I read that, I've read it a few times, I'm like, that is psycho. That yeah, is that psycho is psycho. Time. But Tara, <laughs> you have the increased pressure. I mean, you're working without a net, right? You do not practice law. Now I'm officially retired. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so how does that ratchet up the pressure? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like to be able to pay my mortgage. You mean that kind of pressure? That kind of, yeah, sure. Yeah, that kind of pressure. And, and also, <laughs> yes, yeah, I guess that. also the kind of pressure, you know, what if in the middle of this, I can't do it, you know, I, I, I get the yips and I can, I can no longer putt. I just can't do it anymore. What am yeah. I going to do now? Um, I mean, I tend to fall on my feet. <laughs> And as my dad keeps saying to me, you can always go back to the law. You can always, NYU yeah, is a is very true. good school. <laughs> Did you, um, do you keep Pretty up your, nice. uh, what do they call it? Like your no. board fees and all that stuff. Whoa. No. Yeah. You're I would have to, and I never took the Washington state bar exam. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'd have to, but you know what guys, let's not go there. Let's okay. not worry we don't about need that. to because <laughs> I mean, Jenna Bush could, thinks it's awesome. Know, that part's it's over number now. four on Amazon. And so. you can always go back to the casino in Costa Rica, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still there. That's a good backup plan. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. So you're out on, I mean, this just came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're out on book tour, I'm assuming for several more weeks, maybe months. I'm doing, I was on sort of a solid two-week tour in February, and now I'm doing kind of weekend yeah. events um, like this. So, you know, the writing advice is always don't wait to start your next book. Mm. Always write it while this book's coming out. Have you started thinking about yeah. it, writing it? Yeah, I've started writing it. Yeah. Do you write while you're touring? I try. In fact, this this because I'm here for three days, and I'm like three whole I days know. in one spot in like at the hotel room that I don't have to you know clean, clean. up after anybody <laughs> make, a, make, a, make a meal or do yeah. laundry. Um, so I so I am hoping this is going to be a little bit of a writing retreat slash, you know, talking about the book a couple days. But I but. Um, but I did find it hard. I didn't really write in those two weeks when I was yeah. every day oh, a different city. Much, yeah. That was pretty grueling. Well, since we we're, we've started talking about nuts and bolts and, and writing habits, do you write every day normally? Um, I like to. It doesn't always work out. Uh, you know, if my if I have a sick kid or. And you have three. You know, I have three. Yeah. Ages. Twelve, eleven, and six. Ooh, you're in it. Yeah, you're in the middle of it. I I have to confess that sometimes when my kids are sick, I'm happy because <laughs> I'm like, I, can't, I just have to take care of them. <laughs> oh. You don't yeah. feel the pressure. No pressure. Yeah. 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 I was like, yeah. Can't do it. I can't get That's anything done. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. And and do you have a dedicated space to write? 
Um, as I say, wherever my children are not is oh. my dedicated space. Okay. I also am a member um, of, actually, it's sort Good of segue. similar yeah. to the grotto the in a much grotto. smaller scale. Um, there's a place in Seattle that just opened called Typeset, and it is a working co-working space specifically for writers, and they do events there. And so not good. heard of it? Yeah, you should go check it out. It's really cool. And that's a really nice segue because I remember now that I want to talk about the writing community in Seattle. Yeah, it's you know we know the writing. We're from San Francisco, so we know that writing community. Um, we've had people on from Los Angeles, and I'm surprised when they talk about the writing community yeah. down there, they talk about how supportive tight. it is. Yeah. Of course, it's all TV writers and movie writers, which is very Not foreign. Not all. But a lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, hopefully. Um, everybody wants it to be oh, that. Man, that. Now you, you have oh, arrived. Oh, boy. People are anticipating your thirst. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, and you've, uh, oh, Larry. I know. Well, I've got a whole bottle. Okay. Um, and you've been in Seattle for 10 years now, and mm-hmm. you've been writing that whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so how connected to that community do you feel? And how does it work? Yeah, I feel very connected. And in fact, I lucked out. I didn't know anything about the writing community in Seattle before I moved there. And um, it's a really, really supportive, wonderful community. That's awesome. There's a place called the Richard Hugo House. Yeah, yes. I know that. Yeah. Um, which is where I took my very first writing class. No and, way. Yeah. And I uh, workshopped Pages of the House Girl, which was then oh wow. sort of still a work in progress. And I met a bunch of really great people and have since become really involved with them and have taken a lot of classes. Took um, poetry classes there when I was writing this book. Um, and a, an earlier draft of the book had some of my poems in it. And I, I have to say, I did feel like you... I, I, I'm interested to hear that because here. I did feel like you had a deep connection to poetry. It okay. wasn't just like a device. Good, felt, good. I'm glad you real. felt that way. Yeah. <laughs> is that something you've done all along is write poetry? No, it was all new. It was all new to me. And, um, and when I wrote the poems that I was going to put in the book, I had them in a, you know, a, couple vers- a couple kind of printouts that I did and I was like no I can't Fiona is a much better poet than I am I know that's, I that's actually tough I have, can't drag her down that is tough it's really have you yeah. read uh, Possession by A.S. Yes. Byatt that's one of my favorite books I but love that book man she so if if you haven't read Possession, which I'm assuming you haven't, um, it's about these um, literary critics, I guess, or PhD students and a literary cr- critic who discover that two 19th century poets were having an affair that no one knew about. And she writes, A.S. Byatt, writes yeah. poems uh, as like a male 19th century poet and a female 19th century poet. And they're, they're amazing. Crazy good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's a high, high watermark. Yeah. yeah. There was another book that I shall not name that came out about the time I was I was writing this, where that was about it was a novel about a poet, and there were poems and that he had written, a bad idea. and it became yes, they were oh, it was something a bad idea. Yeah, All of the critics that. were like, these are not very good it's poems, sort of, you know. They didn't really talk about yeah. the novel. I, 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 I think it's, it's nice to live that with the imagination. I it's, yeah, it's sort of like the Don Draper conundrum, you know. In Mad Men, they had to convince us he was a genius advertising without showing you the ads. Well, they did show us the ads. Oh, see, I never yeah. saw it. And yeah. somehow they pulled it off, but it's very sketchy yeah. to decide to take yeah. that risk. I think it works in possession partly because it's mm-hmm. this antiquated language. It's hard to judge the quality, mm-hmm. right? Whereas contemporary language, it's more yeah. scary. Yeah. And I think the people that pick up a novel are not necessarily the people that right. were going to buy a book of poems. or That right. is true. Yeah, That is very uh, true. To switch gears here a little bit, mm. I'm curious, when you... 
uh, published your first book, The House Girl. Mm -hmm. When you, uh, you said, you know, you're writing, it's your first book, you don't know what's going to happen to it. Yeah. When you started sending it out, uh, did you send through an agent? And had you planned, did you know that a major publishing house was what was going to happen? Or were you thinking, wherever, I don't care? I, <laughs> well, I, I first queried agents. Um, and I kind of found Michelle fairly quickly. Oh, and she was like, listen, I love this book. And I had finished the book at that point, or what I thought was the finished book. Um, and she said, I love this book, but you need to work on it. And so I worked with her on edits for about nine months. And then she submitted it. And she was she just did her thing. I mean, I you know, and it was ended up in an auction. There was like six oh, or wow. seven auction houses. I mean, uh, publishing they say houses getting an agent is as hard as getting yeah. the book published. Yeah. So once you get a good agent, the chances are you're going to get and, a good and agent. Yeah. Being that you didn't come from the MFA-ish background, when you went to query agents, were you, what what did you do to prepare yourself to figure out how to query? Well, this is where Hugo House was so important. I, um, the professor, the teacher that I had at that, at, for that first writing class, um, the last day of the class, he had this whole thing about, so what do we do now? You know, what do you do with your... Who was it? Can you say who it was? Peter Mountford. Mm -hmm. You know him? He's a Seattle writer. He's, no, but uh, that's really great. Yeah, it was great. And he walked through the, you know, he showed his query letter and I basically like took his query letter and... <laughs> inserted all yep. of my information <laughs> and and, it worked. and sent it out and it worked and and with the ma and and I remember Michelle uh, emailed me back and and there's also there's so much luck involved in this yeah. world Completely. it is like cuz Michelle later said you know Terry usually I'm not sitting at my desk but your email came in and I saw it and I really liked the title the title was house girl so she literally emailed me back like 5 minutes after I sent her my query letter and she said I want to see the whole manuscript which is un I know that's and um, yeah, don't that's not gonna happen. You guys. <laughs> don't get any ideas. But it was it was just very serendipitous. And then I talked to her on the phone. And we were like both reading the Goon Squad, and like mm. we both love Jennifer Egan. This is before the Goon Squad won the Pulitzer. And um, anyhow, so she she and I just had kind of a literary mind meld very early on. And and then she did her thing, and she you know she sent it out to publishers. I would not have sent it out to publishers on my own. I don't think. Yeah, I wouldn't have gone anywhere. Anyway. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, yeah. And, I mean, unless you're really looking for a small publisher, it right. seems like. Yeah. But that's a great story. I mean, I know of writers, not anyone I know personally, who might actually be me, who sends <laughs> can send out thirty, forty queries, and maybe you get responses from five yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best friends is an agent, and I mean. That story I've never heard even. <laughs> that, that someone would be at their desk and ask yeah. to see it immediately. Yeah. Like there's so much. Because as soon as you, as soon as you reach back, you've entered into a relationship yeah. that you might want to wiggle out of. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I think it helped too that at that time, Michelle was a junior agent at a yeah. fairly big mm. firm, a big agency. Hungry and... Exactly. Yeah. So that she is, was really the, looking for writers. Yeah, yeah, that is something really good to put out. Junior agents are looking for a way to get on the map. Yeah. yeah. Which is really flattering if they see your book and think this is the one that's going to put me on the map. That's fantastic. Um, so what are you working on now? Um, how much should I say? No, no you're too much. Like She's contractually <laughs> obligated not to say. Yeah. Well, it's a book about, it's sort of wish fulfillment a little bit. It's, a, it's my response in a humorous 
kind of uh, semi-political way to the current state of the country. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, it's a novel written in um, documents. It's not a straightforward oh, narrative. Wow. And, um, and it's about a community that pulls apart and comes together. So it's like an epistolary novel, but yeah, a little bit. I like that. Is is the ambition? I mean, like maybe ambition isn't the right word. Do you anticipate it being as big? Oh yeah, bigger. Big, just. (laughs) I I mean, I don't mean bigger, baby, bigger. Barbara Bush. Uh, Yeah, it's gonna be Barbara Bush this time. No, too late for that. No, I I mean as far as I I I mean as far as the scope and ambition of the last novel. Um, no, it is not. It's it's about one year in the life of this community, and it's um. It's not. It's not epic. I don't it, like. I did want to write an epic family novel, mm-hmm. and um, and that is. This is more as Meg Willitzer. We're talking about Meg Willitzer earlier. She describes some novels as palate cleansers, and I feel like this is my palate. <laughs> palate cleanser. Yes, this is my palate cleanser. Huh. <laughs> that was one of the first questions that I asked Tara. Was do you know Meg Willitzer? Because she gave her this great blurb, and I mean. What a great novelist, especially right now. When, yeah. I mean, her work is so timely and, yeah, yeah fantastic. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that one of my favorite things about The Last Romantics is it's a love story about siblings. And mm. I can't think of another book that's like that. Yeah. You know, most sibling stories are about Rivalry. killing your brother. Yeah. <laughs> Not really loving your brother. Yeah. Well, I'm one of three girls, and I have three children, and I, I just find sibling relationships utterly fascinating. <laughs> Me um, too. And the way that they shift and change over time, and and watching my kids, you know, uh, do their thing and fight and make up and um, and shifting loyalties, you know, like two against one, and so um, and I remember I, when I was writing. Uh, the book I read this quote actually no it was probably before I actually started writing but I read a quote from Cheryl Strayed who described her mother as the love of her life and I thought that that was a really sort of radical thing like it is because when you hear it first you go ooh that's not a good idea yeah but of course like the love of your life yeah you know it doesn't it's not necessarily a romantic it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a partner a romantic term and I, I kind of think that for Fiona, and she, and she says this at the end of the book, the loves of her life were her, her siblings. siblings. Hmm. It's awesome. Well, I love it. I'm going to open it up to questions with my bedazzled mic here in a minute. But I do want to say that, Tara, the thing that strikes me the most is that you have such an appetite for writing. You mm-hmm. know, all kinds of writing and reading. And it's really, it doesn't surprise me that you found success with that appetite. I'm surprised mm-hmm. you kept it tamped down for that long. <laughs> Thanks. Did it make you unhappy? What? Not to not be able, able to write full time? Um, I felt unhappy when yeah. I couldn't write full time. Yeah. It was very frustrating. Yeah. I always felt like there was never enough time yep. to get everything done. I still feel that way, though. Yeah. Same. <laughs> okay. I'm going to turn on this crazy mic. And I'm gonna... Does Look it what work? you did. You scared them. Oh. Yeah. It was the bedazzle. It was the bedazzle. Yeah. Don't so fall off the stage. That's that my would advice. be really bad. I'm going to do Phil Donahue and get out in the audience. I just dated myself, but then again. Question. Go ahead and on. raise your hand. I'll. Oh. Oh, we got one right here. Yay. Live one. They call that. Two. Two questions. All right. Um, I, <clears throat> I remember reading Mr. King, your author that you like. 
um, comment about the mechanism of how you write. Do you write with a pen, fountain pen, ballpoint, pencil, keyboard, mm -hmm. dictate? And the second thing I'm very interested in is intellectual property rights. You're talking yeah. about sending excerpts or the whole manuscript out. How do you protect yourself in this digital age where things are everywhere that fast? Yeah. Um, well, to answer the first one, I write on a laptop, usually in a coffee shop or at this co-working space. Um, and I write it, write, 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 write. And then at a certain point, I print it out and I edit. Uh, I edit by hand on paper. And I do not outline, which is... That's uh, amazing, that considering is your big story thing arc. <laughs> that, I feel like writers divide into the <laughs> outliners and the non-outliners. And I don't, I don't outline. I just kind of write, write, write. But then I outline after the fact, like to kind of keep track of stuff. Oh, like to keep like track the of the story. Yeah. So hold on, I gotta stop for a second. What do you mean you don't <laughs> outline? So, so I mean, you cannot outline and still have a scaffolding in mind. Yeah. Or are you just hitting the ground with a character and driving forward? Um, at the very beginning, I'm hitting the ground and just driving wow. forward and thinking, oh, let's see what happens if this, if I, you know. Do you use um, Scrivener or anything like no. that? People, so, people rave about Scrivener. No. I, yeah. I just use Word. And the Same. second question was the about... The second question, that's a, I mean, I honestly don't know. It is a total leap of faith to send <laughs> to send a manuscript to an agent I you know uh, I guess you just have to trust that if you're sending it to a reputable agency which this one is uh, she was with a different agency then but I knew people who were with the agency and it was a reputable one um, I think yeah I don't know do you guys know about IP or I mean so I, I'm both an author and an art historian and in the art world it's even trickier. I bet, yeah. Um, and high, hotly contested. So I think that intellectual property is a uh, very fluid part of the law, partly because it hasn't been uh, tacked down everywhere. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, think it's, I think it's kind of easy to steal, but it's also kind of easy to prove that you wrote it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I have not heard a, a lot of problems with that. There have been a lot of cases recently of poets having their work plagiarized mm. um, and they've been caught because now things are so digital that they yeah. see things they wouldn't have seen otherwise in a yeah. print public publication and then they call the person out yeah but i don't think sending it to an agency what would be the what would be the, the, the motivation to steal right. it for them a crappy manuscript I, that still needs right but the thing is like editing. when you're yeah. when you're hiring an when you're hiring an author on their work you're hiring the whole package yeah so the manuscript doesn't do you very much good necessarily yeah, because then who goes around and does stuff like this? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, promoting, you know, selling the book. We have a question up here in the front. Yes. I'm an environmental studies student at Boise State, and uh -huh. I'm just wondering, having grown up during a time when environmental issues were growing in popularity, mostly the 70s, I guess, and being where you are now, how do you and your siblings deal with reconciling with what's happening, and how do you comfort your children about the future? Yeah. Great. Well, my kids are total environmentalists. They get on me all the time. They'll be like, Mom, don't buy us juice boxes, Mom. Did you know you can't recycle those packages? You know, this is like my, you know, 10-year-old. Um, 
so I mean, I do. I I feel very strongly about these issues now that I was completely unaware of it growing up. I mean, when did global warming and climate change even enter the national discussion? I mean, it was a. The thing is, in the seventies, people talked about it, but it was this crazy fringe issue. It was the ozone layer. Oh, the ozone layer was a big thing. There was going to be no ozone layer. Um, We were worried about nuke. Nuclear getting right. nuked yep. by the Russians, yeah, you know, totally. that was like, right. But, yeah. Yeah. But, but, but there was a lot more conversation around it than you think. Like it's been around a long time, but you're right. I mean, the thing I remember from growing up in the seventies is just like nuclear winter. That's what we worried about. Yeah. Yeah. But I just watched this movie, rewatched a movie with my kids. Um, the day after, oh, the day after, the Jack one? or no, the day, the, that one, the day yeah. after tomorrow, oh, I think no, it's called. Yeah. And it came out like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. It is so prescient. It's like this, you know, Arctic uh, wave comes over. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. And it was it was filmed like a disaster movie. I watched it as like some piece of fiction disaster movie. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of, I don't know. But to fortune telling. S- to speak to Bridget's <laughs> point, in the 70s, I don't know if you remember, we had a movie called yeah. The Day After. I do the remember after that movie. That was about a nuclear war. Yeah, I do remember Jason that. And Jason Robards at the end. Yeah. The rubble. We have time for one more question if you've got a question. Otherwise, I, I, I see you. You got a question Come back there? on, ask it. Come yeah, on. Anything. You don't have to. <laughs> nope. All right. Well, we, uh, oh, oh, we there do we have go. one. Excellent. So you mentioned your latest project. And you said it's about a community. Do you live in that community? Um, no, it's about a fictional community. That actually, I grew up on the East Coast, and it's set in the East Coast. I live in Seattle now, and I feel like the quintessential Seattle novel has already been written. <laughs> where we go, where you, where'd, where'd you go, you go Bernadette? Bernadette yeah. um, great book. Yeah, it's a great book. And and I also, I don't know, I, we were talking about this before. I've lived in Seattle for 10 years now, and I still kind of feel like the new kid. I feel like I'm kind of a New Englander still. I, don't you think it's easier to write about a place when you're not there? Yes. yes. Absolutely. It's easier to write about it in the rear view, I think. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay, so we're out of time. We'd like to thank Tara Conklin for being our guest. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Grotto Pod, go to grottopod.com. Um, if they want to learn more about Bridget Quinn Author, where would they go? <laughs> well, you could go to bridgetquinnauthor.com, I guess. That'd be the way to do that. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Tara Conklin, where would you go? That would be taraconklin.com. <laughs> See, if you have a name like Tara Conklin, you don't need the author part. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. That's lucky. There's lots of Bridget Quinns. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I don't have a website. Sorry. <laughs> But and there's you, lots of Larry Rosens. There are. But if you can't get enough of me, stick around because I'm on the panel that comes next. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Thank, Thank you, Tara, Thank so you, much. Tara. It's so fun talking to you.